Well, grace, peace, and blessings, beloved, in the name of our risen, redeeming, and returning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Good Thursday morning to each and every one of you. Pray all is well with you and yours. Welcome to another installment of our New Testament Word Walk and the New Testament Word Walk podcast with Pastor Jay that comes from the St. James Missionary Baptist Church located in the great city of Rocky Mount, North Carolina. I am certainly grateful and thankful to have this opportunity to connect with you as we continue our journey through the writings of Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy, as we are picking up where we left off last week um, from chapter three. We only got through two verses last week of First Timothy chapter three. And so I want to resume our study and our discussion of the word of God as we continue to operate as we did last week from the subject matter of learning to love leadership the third lesson uh, to the local church from Paul to Timothy. Uh, I pray and trust as always that you have your handout, you've got your note-taking material, and of course, you've got your Bible ready to walk through God's word with us as we are seeking to study to show ourselves approved unto him, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, one who rightly divides the word of truth. But before we get started, let's take a moment, let's pray, let's seek God's guidance and God's direction as we come to understand his word. Pray with me now, if you will. Most holy and all wise God, we come before you now telling you thank you for this day. Thank you for our life, our health, our strength. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love toward us. God, we say thank you that you have been better to us than we could have ever been to ourselves. And we are certainly grateful to be recipients of your mercy, your kindness, and your compassion. Now, God, as I come before your people with your word, I realize that I have studied, I have read, but only you know what your people need to hear. So God, even now, I give myself away so that you may use me for your glory. Let your word come to life to us and through us today. In Jesus' name, we pray, we praise, and we proclaim, amen, amen, and amen. To God be all of the glory. Quick review from what we left off on last week. Last week, we dealt with the first two verses of 1 Timothy chapter three, as we see Paul explain the qualifications and the assignments of the two biblical offices of the church. Now, there are a whole lot of other officers that we have established uh, within the local church, but when you study God's word, there are only two biblical offices of the church, that being the pastor, the bishop, the elder, and the deacon, all right? Last week, we said that leadership is a gift to the church. Ephesians 4.11 makes it clear, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Whereas, you know, we shared last week that a whole lot of folk will say it's the five-fold ministry gift. In a lot of ways, I believe it is four-fold because a true pastor is automatically a teacher. That's something that, you know, I've always believed uh, a true pastor a true shepherd is also one who teaches. He leads, he feeds, he guides, he guards. And I pray you understand that even though I'm saying he, uh, I pray that you understand that I'm not believing that it's only men. I'm just using that to just be uh, for the teaching moment, if you will. 
Um, we also said last week that the bishop and the elder, when it came to leadership, are synonymous. I had someone to question me about this last week off air, and I said I would come back and make sure that I understood and I brought clarity, clarity, if you will, to the understanding. Understand that I said when it comes to leadership, biblical leadership, bishops and elders are synonymous. All right. We have a whole lot of reformations. We have a whole lot of organizations that identify bishops having a hierarchical position over an elder. I'm not taking anything from your organization, but I am speaking based upon the word of God. According to the word of God, when you look at the original Greek, when you look at the original Greek, the word bishop is a word that simply means overseer, whereas elder comes from the Greek word presbytute, where we get presbyter or presbytery from, which simply means an elderly or old man. When it comes to leadership, whether you are a bishop or an elder, you should be mature enough to oversee God's people. We said that last week, that Paul teaches that leadership should be mature people who possess spiritual wisdom and experience. You've got to have a relationship with God. I want to say that again. You've got to have a relationship with God. You've got to have a walk with God to understand how to properly lead, feed, guide, and guard the people of God. There is no getting around it. There is no getting away from it. We must be able to possess spiritual maturity and wisdom, spiritual wisdom and experience. Last week, we talked about some of the beginning qualities of a Christian leader or a pastor. We said last week that the first thing, there were 16 qualifications that he gave for a pastor, a bishop, or an elder. He said, first of all, they must be blameless. They must be blameless. Blameless simply means that if there were an accusation, that would be brought against a pastor, there would be no proof behind the accusation being brought. The word literally means nothing to take hold upon. There's nothing in the pastor's life that Satan or unsaved folk can use to criticize the leader or the church. That's why we must always make sure that our actions and our attitudes are always right in the sight of God. We said last week, not only must they be uh, blameless, but secondly, we said that they must have be the one spouse. They must have one spouse. Let me get it right. They must have one spouse. That signifies, and please understand, beloveds, that even though Paul speaks from a man or a masculine point of view, that does not eliminate the women. I can prove it in scripture, and I probably should have done this last week. If you remember when the church was born on the day of Pentecost, all right, when the fire fell and the people began to worship and praise and speak in other tongues as the spirit gave utterance and they went out into the streets and began to do the same. You remember that the people were saying these people are drunk and Peter spoke up with boldness and said, these people are not drunk as you suppose. Don't you remember what the prophet said? 
the prophet Joel, Joel chapter two, said that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Look at this, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That's in the Old Testament. Peter speaks it at the birth of the church. So basically what has happened here in today's day and time is many people have a misguided view or a misunderstanding of what prophecy is. Amen. We have confused the gift of prophecy with the gift of revelation knowledge. Many people feel like prophecy is to be able to tell people in 21 days, you're going to be a millionaire. No, that's not prophecy. True prophecy, true prophets speak as God directs them to speak. And their speaking is in alignment with what God has already said. If I could make it live for you today, every time I stand behind the sacred desk on Sunday, anytime I come behind, come before you behind a camera or before a podium to teach and expound on God's word, I'm operating in the gift of prophecy. I am to foretell. I am to tell you what God says. And when I tell you what God says, it must be in alignment with what God has already spoken. See, this is where the church has struggled. The church has struggled because we don't have a full and complete understanding of what God is saying. And because we don't have a full and complete understanding of what God is saying, we fall into the trap where Paul says of the Romans, they are ignorant of God's righteousness and we go about to establish our own righteousness. I know it seems a little hard, but it's, it's, it's real. So here, basically, when Paul says that they are the husband of one wife or, or one spouse, basically what Paul is saying here is understanding that the pastor's home life is equally as important as his church relationship. Amen. Your home life, brother and sister preachers, are equally as important because you're going to see a little bit later Paul says it again, that if a man cannot take care of his own house, how can he handle the house of God? We said last week, thirdly, that a, a pastor or a bishop or an elder must be vigilant. He must be vigilant, vigilant. Vigilant simply says, and vigilant states the fact that this is one who is temperate, who is sober, who knows how to keep a level head in all situations. Sober, sensible judgment. Amen. Sober, sensible judgment. Then we said that fourthly, he must be sober. He must have a serious attitude when it comes to the work. And remember, I told you last week that it did not mean that he did not have a sense of humor. It just basically says that when it comes down to certain things, he understands that as Ecclesiastes 3 teaches us, there is a time and a place for everything. There is a time to be serious. There's a time to laugh. And if you're going to serve as a leader, you've got to know when that appropriate time is. All right. We left off last week talking about being orderly, orderly. Orderly simply means that the pastor is organized in his thinking and in his living, in his preaching and in his teaching. 
All right. As a matter of fact, I believe I shared it with you, but if I didn't, I'll share it with you now. This word orderly here comes from the same word in the Greek that is used to describe the dress of the deacon's wife in verse nine. All right. Modest. All right. Basically, that it means that I'm not flashy in my thinking. I'm not arrogant in my speech. I don't care, carry an air about myself as if I am certain someone or something special. That's that's going to be sort of hard for us to hear. But as preachers of the gospel, we cannot lose sight of our humility. Now, let me share this with you as well because I firmly believe that humility does not mean that I'm a doormat to be walked on. Humility does not mean that I am to be disrespected because you don't like me. Amen. I often tell people some folks confuse the office with the person and because you don't like the person, then automatically you disrespect the office. Did I not tell us last week that's a dangerous game for the church to play? Amen. So we wrapped up, we pick up rather uh, with verse two with qualification number six. The sixth qualification that is found is that a pastor, a bishop, an elder must be given to hospitality. In other words, the pastor must be able to love the stranger. The pastor must be able to love the stranger. who gives honor to whom honor is due. It basically says that they, the pastor is hospitable, a, a kind pastor, an approachable pastor, a pastor who is willing to connect with you is one who is hospitable. Number seven, we said that the seventh qualification of a pastor, a bishop, an elder, must be one who is ready to teach. He must be ready to teach. Teaching the word of God is one of the main ministries of the pastor. Amen. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 speaks of that. He's automatically a teacher. And if he is apt to teach, that means that a pastor must be one who is a careful student of the word of God, one who studies God's word, one who prepares himself. Because did I not tell you last week that a pastor who is lazy in his study is a disgrace to the pulpit? There is no way that I could come before you and share with you the word of God without proper preparation. And I have often shared that about St. James Church. One of the things that I love about serving uh, St. James Church and serving as spiritual leader of St. James Church is because there are so many in the pew who know the word. And because they know the word, they've studied the word, they read the word, it challenges me to make sure that when I present the word, I'm presenting the word correctly. I'm presenting the word carefully. I'm presenting the word compassionately because I shared with you last week that there is a fourfold assignment to every pastor. There's a fourfold assignment to every pastor. You may want to write this down. 
there is a fourfold assignment to every pastor. Every pastor of every local church must be willing to do four things. You must be willing to correct. You must be willing to convict. You must be willing to challenge. And you must also be willing to celebrate. We're going to see that in 2 Timothy, where Paul tells Timothy to preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, rebuke, reprove, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So every pastor, every spiritual leader, every spiritual leader must be willing to convict. They must show you and challenge you to see that you're wrong. They must correct. They've got to teach you the right way. They must um, celebrate you, which means basically I'm going to encourage you if you're doing the right thing to continue to do the right thing. Challenge, correct, celebrate, and convict. Those are the four. Those are the four. We must always remember that assignment. And to do that, we must be willing to teach. We must be apt. The word apt simply means to be ready at all times to teach God's word. Let's move on. Let's move on as we look at uh, qualification number eight. The eighth qualification that Paul deals with here begins um, with, at verse three. In verse three, he says that the pastor, the bishop, um, the elder must be must not be given to wine. All right. Here is is again a place that requires some correction and some teaching as it relates to the word of God. All right. Please understand that when Paul says that he is not given to wine, he basically is making sure that this preacher understands the importance of not allowing yourself to be so caught up in drinking that you become drunk. This is a person who sits long and drinks to the point of excess or to a point of loss of self-control. According to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Paul advised Timothy to use wine for medicinal purposes. So for that purpose, he's not saying no wine, but he's basically saying here that this person should not drink to the point that they lose self-control, that they become drunk. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21 Paul dealt with this because he said that the members of the Corinthian church got drunk even at the feast that accompanied the Lord's Supper. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 21. The Jewish people, according to history, diluted their wine with water to make sure that it was not so strong that they lost control. All right. Now, in Bible days, the reason why they used it for medicinal purposes is because in certain regions of the world, at that time, water was not pure. And that case, in order for them to really maintain their health, they had to drink wine. But what Paul is talking about here is making sure that we don't confuse what he's saying with Bible compared to what we say in our culture. All right. Here's the point. Here's the point. A good pastor, 
a godly pastor wants to make sure that you are presenting the best example and not be an excuse for sin in the life of a weaker brother. Amen. In other words, I want to be an example. That's 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 what Paul is basically referring to here. Oftentimes, because we take it in the literal, we miss the spiritual principle. The spiritual principle here is this. Make sure, brother pastor, brother bishop, brother elder, sister pastor, sister bishop, sister elder, make sure that your life is a reflection that leads others closer to Christ and does not draw them closer to the world. I can prove it. He continues in verse three to show us this. He continues in verse three. Look at it. The next qualification. Qualification number nine simply says that the pastor, the bishop, the elder is not one who is always looking for a fight. Amen, somebody. It's right there. Verse three, he says that he is not a striker. In other words, a true pastor does not look for a fight. He is not always confrontational. He's not always looking for an opportunity to fight. Amen. Amen. Amen goes right there. Amen all of us. Here, here it is right here. Dr. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Dr. Charles Spurgeon told his students at the Pastors World College that you don't go about the world with your fists doubled up for fighting, carrying a theological revolver in the leg of your trousers. In other words, a true pastor does not have to fight. He lets the word fight for him. And if I could say this to young preachers, when they don't always agree with you, when they seek to attack you, when they attack your good name, when they come for your character, you don't have to fight. Just keep preaching. Just keep preaching. Just keep teaching the word of God. And please, 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 y'all, please let me say this while I'm here to help a young preacher who perhaps may be watching. One of the worst things we can do in ministry is use the pulpit as a battleground to attack those who attack us. That's a dangerous game to play. Simply because while you are attacking one, Jesus said we immediately forget about the 90 and the nine. He says, how do you deal with that one that is lost? Do you not, and overlook and neglect the 99? No, you got to protect the well-being of the 99. He said, first of all, you corral the 99 and then you go and get the one that is lost. And when you get him, Jesus said, you bring him on your shoulders back to the corral. No, you don't shoot him from a distance. You don't kill him from a distance. If I can't help you, I won't hurt you. Amen. Amen. So this is what Paul is saying when he says that a pastor, a leader is no striker. He is not contentious. He's not always looking for a fight. Sometimes wisdom basically says that I know what to say, when to say, and when not to say. Amen. Moving right along. Um, qualification number 10. Qualification number 10, according to Paul to Timothy, a true pastor does not preach for money. The, pa the, the Bible says he's not greedy for filthy lucre. 
All right. Now we're going to see a little bit more about this in the sixth chapter. All right. We're going to see a little bit more about this. All right. But what we're basically saying here is we are dealing with the conscience and the integrity of godly leadership in the local church. We're looking at the conscience and the integrity of godly leadership. All right. It is possible to use money to use the ministry rather as an easy way to make money. And if that be the case, ministry becomes a hustle for the life of the preacher type, but it's right. Dr. Warren Wiersbe put it this way, covetous pastors always have deals going on outside the churches and those activities erode their character and hinder their ministry. Pastors should not should not use ministry as a means of money. It's not only found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it's also found in 1 Peter chapter 5. If preacher, you are preaching for money, you're doing it for the wrong reason. And I'll tell you from personal experience that those who preach for money will often, will sometimes more sooner than later be disappointed. Can I be honest with you, beloveds? There are some places that I have been privileged to minister that the Lord has led me to leave their honorarium or their love gift with them to be a blessing. There have been some places I've gone and I've taken you know, folks with me. I've taken you all with me and received very little. There have been some places I've gone that I have been blessed beyond my wildest imagination. What's my point? My point is, I'm going to trust God. I trust God. I trust God. Not only do I trust God to provide for me, because that's what Jesus told me. Jesus said in the word of God, don't even worry about your coat. Don't worry about your cloak. Don't worry about any of that, because all of that will be provided for you. What are you saying to young preachers? Here's what I'm saying to young preachers. Young preachers, we must be oh so careful about placing astronomical demands on the people. You got to have a king size room and you got to have this and you got to have that. No, beloveds, that's not the way. But at the same time, what is the message for the local church? The message for the local church is to the best of your ability, be a blessing to the one that blesses you. There's proof of that in scripture too. The Bible says that you don't muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. Why? You defeat your purpose. If you put a muzzle on God's mouthpiece, then guess who that hurts? That only hurts you. Amen. Amen. So preachers must not preach for money. If you're preaching for money, I'm going to say it. You're out of order. You're out of order. You are out of order. Amen. The Bible says that a man should work by the sweat of his brow. And if a man does not work, he does not eat. Amen. So if you are going to make this demand upon the people, then pastors, let's be found making sure that we are doing the supply that matches the demand. Amen. Kudos and celebration to all pastors who are striving their best to lead, 
feed, guide, and guard God's people and not worry so much about what they make. Amen. They're not those who are demanding raises. Help me somebody. They're just doing the best they can to lead God's people. And let me tell you from experience, what ends up happening is when you do it, God will lay it on the heart of the people to bless you. Amen. Those of you who are part of St. James family know my early years of pastoring, there was a group among the family that could not see why it was necessary to give the pastor an appreciation every year. And those of you who are part of the family, you remember that during those times, I basically said, don't argue, don't fuss. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Here's what we will do. And that's what we have done up until about three years ago, four years ago, my, my first um, 10 years outside of the first year, I never had a day of appreciation, never had an anniversary. And I'm fine with that because I am blessed to have a group of people who love God and love their leader enough that they don't wait till one Sunday out of the year to show their pastor how much they love and appreciate them. I love you all for that that every once in a while you'll say, Pastor, the Lord just told me to give you this. Or sometimes you'll come and, and just give me a gift card or put a little piece of money in my hand after service on Sunday and say, take First Lady out for dinner. You don't know what that does for me. That does so much for my heart. It, it encourages me to continue to lead, feed, guide, and guard. Amen, amen. Amen. Number 11, he's patient. Wow, there it is right there. There it is. He's patient. The pastor must learn how to listen to people, how to get along with people, and how to be able to take criticism from people who may not fully understand without reacting. Mm-hmm. He should permit others to serve God in the church and let them learn in their service. That's what patience is. What a lesson, not only for the pastor, the bishop, the elder, but equally for the local church. This is a missing link in the local church. The local church must also learn how to be patient, how to let people grow in their relationship with God. We lose out on so many good people in the church. Hear me now, we lose out on so many good people in the church because they don't do things like us or they don't act like us or they don't dress like us or they don't conduct themselves like us. Can I stop right here and ask us a question, beloved? Who said we had it all right? Who said that we were always correct? When the Bible makes it clear that our righteousness in God's eyes is as a filthy rag, which simply says that even at my best, some days I'm not good enough. Am I helping somebody? We got to learn the local church, not only the leadership, but equally the laity. We got to learn how to be patient with people. Let people grow and learn and become closer to God in their relationship with God and with his church. Which simply brings me to the next one. He is a peacemaker, a true pastor. A true pastor, let me put them on full screen for you. A true pastor, a true leader is a peacemaker. He's not a troublemaker. It doesn't mean that he compromises his convictions, but he must disagree without being disagreeable. 
If he's a peacemaker, beloveds, he doesn't operate with a short fuse. The pastor doesn't operate with a short temper. He's basically understanding that short tempers do not make for long ministries. Thank you, Dr. Tony Evans. Short tempers do not make for long ministries. You want longevity in ministry, young preacher? You want longevity in pastoring, young pastor? You want longevity with your pastor, church family? You've got to learn how to operate in peace. You're not going to always agree but must understand this. Here's a lesson for the local church that I need you to grab a hold to. Hold on to the fact that even though you may not agree with everything your pastor does, everything your pastor says, it is not your place. As a matter of fact, it is out of order for you to attack your leader's character. It is out of place. I got it in scripture. It's out of place for you to run among the congregation talking negatively and nastily about your leader because you don't agree with everything. Can I talk church language here for a minute? You are out of order and setting yourself up for the judgment of God when you don't agree with your pastor and you run around telling folks in the church, I don't like the way the church is going right now. For that cause, I got to challenge you to watch your position. Amen. Because here's reality. If that godly leader is following God's commands and is following God's instructions and is doing things as the Lord leads him through the Holy Spirit and you don't like it, you're not attacking him. You're not attacking her. You're attacking the God that authorized them. Hello, somebody. I know we don't like to hear it like that, but that's the truth. Sometimes you got to learn how to stop being so judgmental and stop being so critical and learn how to be more prayerful. I'm talking to the church. That's one of the reasons why Paul took a whole chapter to tell Timothy to teach the people the importance of prayer. Granted, you might not agree with everything your pastor does, but pray because it might not be the pastor. It might be you. And get this, if the pastor is wrong, or if you pray, God will convict and correct the pastor. And a true leader has enough integrity and honesty within himself to come back and say, I didn't do it right. Am I helping somebody this morning? I pray I'm helping somebody. I pray to God I am helping somebody this morning. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Number, number uh, 13. He is not covetous. All right. Now, some may say, well, now, Pastor, didn't we already talk about the money piece? Yes, we did. But always remember that you can covet other things beside money. Amen. You can covet other things beside money. Covetous simply means that you are not covetous for popularity. You're not covetous for a large ministry. You're not covetous for denominational advancement. All right. When we basically say this, we stop the spirit of comparison. Brother, sister, pastors, let's stop comparing ourselves. Let's stop competing with each other. We're teammates. So there's no need to be competitors. And church, here's where it helps you. You can help your leader by stop comparing your leader to somebody else. Too often churches are guilty of it. They're guilty of it. 
I, I wish pastor was more like this pastor. I wish pastor was more like this. I wish our church would do it like that. Well, look, let me tell you, and this is going to come over sort of harsh, but let me let it, let me just put it where you can catch it. If you want to be like that church so bad, perhaps you might need to consider uniting with that church. Amen. We have to stop comparing. Amen. Earlier this week, I posted on Facebook a, a very simple nugget that I want to share with us. If you are comparing yourselves to others, you are actually insulting yourself. Can you imagine how insulting it would be as a member of St. James Church to try to compare St. James to another church? I wish we were more like this church. I wish pastor was more like this pastor. That's an insult against you and your fellow believers, not including your leader. Amen. We got to overcome the spirit of covetousness. Number 14. Number 14. A good leader has a solid family life. A solid family life. Solid family life. All right. This does not mean that the pastor must be married or if married, it does not mean that he must have children. I, 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 I'm, I'm saying that to help somebody in the church today realize that we've got to stop making demands on spiritual leadership. OK, we got to stop. And let me say it this way. We got to stop using scripture to make demands on spiritual leadership. All right. He got to be married and got to have children and got to be this and he's got to be that. She's got to do this. She got to do that. We got to be careful that we miss out on a gift of God trying to base it on our preferences. Amen. Marriage and family are probably in the will of God for most pastors. But what Paul is talking about here in, in verses four and five is basically this. When he uses the word rule and ruleth, he is one that presides over or governs. So in other words, what he's basically talking about here in verse uh, four and five, let me, let me, let me read it in, from the King James. Verse four and five says, one that ruleth his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Here's what Paul is basically saying. Paul is basically saying that we as leaders should oversee both the church and the family with the same love, the same truth, the same discipline. Amen. If my wife will not respect me at home, she's not going to respect me at church. If my children will not honor me at home. They are not going to honor me at church. It does not mean that I am a dictator. Lord have mercy. It does not mean that a pastor is a dictator. It basically says that the pastor should be consistent with his family as he is with the church. I can't be one thing at home. I'm helping a young preacher somewhere. I can't be one thing at home and be something else at the church. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I can't, I can't be abusive to my wife at home and then try to come to church and be holy. 
I'm I, I, I'm I'm about to get in trouble, but I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it to help somebody today. Let me say it to help somebody. I, I cannot. I gotta have a solid family life. And watch this. There's an easy way to tell if the pastor is living at home what he does at the church. Amen. I'm I'm thinking of the late Dr. Harold Diggs, who once said to us that the quickest way to find out that you're living the life at home is to watch how the spouse acts at church. Amen. Dr. Diggs told us very early in seminary that if the pastor is preaching and the wife is not pushing and prayerfully supporting, nine times out of 10, he's not living at home what he does at the church. Mm. But he said, if that man is preaching and she's the loudest thing hollering, this is Dr. Diggs now, if, 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 if he's preaching and she's the first one pushing and praying and supporting, then guess what? His lifestyle matches up with his witness. That's all Paul is saying to Timothy. As spiritual leadership, as the pastor, make sure that your lifestyle lines up with your witness. Amen. Because somebody going to see you in Walmart and they need to be able to know that you are a true child of God. Let me wrap up here. Let me hit the last two and we'll, we'll wrap up and then we'll talk about the deacon on next week. In verse number six, he says that the pastor, the bishop, the elder should not be a new believer. He should not. They use the word novice. That's what the Bible says. King James Version says, not a novice. Greek, neophilus, neophytus, which simply means one newly planted. In other words, a, a, a spiritual leader should not be one who just got started in his walk with God. He should not be a young Christian, all right? It should be someone who has given his time for study and growth before he steps into the role of leadership. Leadership is not for the novice. Leadership is not for the novice. Look at why. Verse six said that a novice will be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Amen. We're going to see this a little bit later when Paul deals with it in chapter five, where he says that you don't lay hands on any man suddenly. It's one of the things that I love about ministry at St. James Church. When we receive um, deacons to be ordained, we just don't immediately do it. We let them serve for a year. And after serving for a year, we come back and we say yes or no. I'm the same way when it comes to ordaining preachers. I don't ordain just for the sake of ordination. I don't. I'm only speaking about me as a pastor. I don't ordain for the sake of ordination. I ordain for the sake of assignment. And if the assignment requires it, then there's going to be a period of training and preparation before I, as a pastor, will recommend ordination before the church. Why? We don't need anybody who's just getting started in his faith walk trying to lead others to a faith walk. Amen. That's, that, that's almost like putting somebody in the kitchen who's never cooked. Sooner or later, if you don't have burnt food, you're going to have a burnt kitchen. <laughs> Amen. Which leads us to the last qualification. Qualification number 16. 
According to verse number seven, he must have a solid character beyond the church. Let me put this up so that you can get all of them noted down. He must have a solid character beyond the church. He must be of one who is good report among those who are without. He must be of a good report among those who are outside of the church. He must have a good reputation among saved people. He must be integral. He must be integral. Now, granted, he might not be all that he ought to be, but he ought be striving. Integrity basically says now, and let me let me teach this here. Integrity does not mean perfection. It does not mean that I am perfect. It basically means that I'm striving every day of my life to be a little bit better. And I'm honest enough to admit when I didn't do it right. Am I helping somebody with this? This is what we ought look for. The local church ought look for in a leader. Look for somebody who is an encourager. Look for somebody who is an equipper. Look at somebody who realizes that they don't have it all together, but they're willing to keep pushing, pressing and persevering until they do. That's that's the whole point that that I believe Paul has been trying to drive here uh, with this particular teaching of making sure that the pastor, the bishop, the leader is making sure that he is representing the kingdom. That's what we're talking about. So we're going to stop here. Uh, We've wrapped up the pastor next week. We're going to take a look at verses eight through 13, looking at the deacon understanding the other biblical office of the deacon. And I'll tell you this automatically, we're talking about servanthood. When we talk about the deacon, we're dealing with servanthood. Um, as always, if you have any questions from today's lesson, we took, we took a look, of course, at verses three uh, through seven today. But if you have any questions from the first seven verses of chapter three, please, by all means, leave those questions in the comment section. I'll see those questions and we'll be found uh, answering those questions to the best of my ability. As always, beloveds, it is my great joy to share God's word with you. And I pray, of course, as always, that this word has been seasoned with grace, but also has been empowering, equipping, educating and inspiring uh, to the best of our ability. We ask that we will continue to keep uh, all in prayer, those who are sick, who are shut in, those hearts and families who are saddened in bereavement. Let's continue to keep them in our prayers. As always, I would dare close this time of sharing without giving someone an opportunity who does not know Jesus Christ to accept him as Lord and Savior of your life. What must I do to be saved? The word of God says that if I would confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God have raised Jesus from the dead, I shall be saved. Information now appears on the screen as to how you may make that decision and how you may share that decision with us. If you'll quickly take your smartphone and your tablet and text SJMBC virtual to the text code of 84576, someone from our ministry team will reach out to you and connect with you. Once you share that contact information with us, they'll be praying with you. They'll encourage you. They'll give you further instructions and next steps. We thank God for the opportunity and we thank God for the privilege of being able to share the gospel and then invite you to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
Well, beloveds, I thank you for this time. Thank you for jumping in and sharing with us, uh, whether you're joining us via social media, webcasting, or even uh, podcasts. Thank you so much for connecting with us. It is my will, but it's got to be the will of God. We'll be together next Thursday for yet another walk through his holy word. Join me now in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we say thank you for this time. Thank you for this privilege. Thank you for this opportunity. God, I tell you, thank you for giving me a gentle reminder of my calling and my assignment before your people. God, I pray now that you would continue to order my steps. God, lead me. God, guide me. Show me the way that you will have me to go and then give me strength to walk it out according to your will, your way, and your word. I want to be found pleasing in your sight. I want to be found helping your people. I want to be found building your people up. I want to be found challenging them, correcting them, celebrating them, and convicting them. God, help me to do what you've called me to do. And for these things and so much more, God, I'll be found giving your name, the praise, the glory, and all of the honor. This is my prayer. I offer it now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Blessings upon you is our prayer. Until next Thursday, be blessed, be safe, and know as always, beloved, we love you all.